Nerdette is supported by the Sympathizer podcast from HBO. Join host Philip Nguyen in conversation with the cast, crew, and author Viet Thanh Nguyen as they discuss the making of this historic HBO original limited series. Stream new episodes of HBO's The Sympathizer Sundays exclusively on Max. And listen to The Sympathizer podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. Think on your feet for our Fast and Curious 5K, a -a one-of-a-kind race hosted by WBEZ and the Chicago Sun-Times on Saturday, July 27th at Humboldt Park. More info and early bird registration at wbez.org slash events. From WBEZ Chicago, I'm Greta Johnson, and this is the Nerd at Book Club. It's just like a regular book club, except you don't have to share your snacks. It is December, and our book selection this month is Hernan Diaz's excellent historical novel, Trust. It's a puzzle of a story about wealth, capital, and who gets to tell their stories. That is all I'm going to say for now. Here is your spoiler warning. If you haven't read this book and you don't want to know what happens, this is not the conversation for you. Go check out my interview with Ernan in the feed. If you haven't read the book and you do want to know what happens, you can hang. Or, of course, if you've read the book, we are very glad to have you. I'm also very excited to introduce you to this month's guests. Here to discuss the novel, we have the delightful bookstagrammer Lupita Aquino, who's on Instagram as Lupita Reads. Lupita, hello. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to talk about this book with you guys. Yay. Thanks for coming on. I think it's going to be super fun. We also have the wonderful book critic Hillary Kelly, who writes a lot for New York Magazine and reviewed Trust for the LA Times. Hillary, hello. Hello. So Trust is, I'm going to try to explain this as succinctly as I possibly can. This book is in four parts. There is the novel within the novel, which it turns out isn't actually very novelly at all. It's based very heavily on the real life of what's in the novel. There is a draft of a ghostwritten autobiography. There's also a memoir. And then there are journal entries. The story spans about 60 years. It centers around Andrew Bevel, who is one of the richest men in the world. And he made part of his fortune by manipulating the stock market which ultimately ended up helping bring on the crash of 1929. We meet his wife, Mildred, who plays an integral role. Also later on, we meet Ida Prentice, who Andrew hires to help him ghostwrite his autobiography. Um, Obviously, these different sections in the book are extremely disparate. Uh, Lupita, what did you think of the structure? So I started off by uh, listening to it as an audiobook. Mm-hmm. That threw me off a little bit, but not really. You know, you just when when you have an audiobook on, you just kind of give yourself to it, um, and you're not really, yeah. you know, you're not physically seeing the breakup, right? Because uh, you're hearing it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, I definitely had to set, you know, set the audiobook down and go back to the actual physical copy of the book to really understand the structure and where where it was going because. Yeah. I felt like it, it it didn't really make sense to me at the time. So I, I struggled with that in the beginning. It's funny because I actually read a galley like on my Kindle way earlier this mm. year and that worked for me. And then to like brush up on it for this conversation, I listened to the audiobook and I was so confused, even though I had already read the book, <laughs> which was just like, all right, well, this is definitely something to experience in print, I think. What about you, Hillary? So I actually read this book in a sort of strange circumstance that I don't often luckily find myself in, which is um, (laughs) I read this book in the hospital. I was sick. I got a really strange um, sickness about five days after I had my daughter. 
And I was in the hospital completely alone during the height of Omicron under like crazy precautions. And all I all I had brought with me was this book. So I read it basically beginning to end stuck in a room with no way out. Um, Holy shit. And I had this wonderful nurse who kept coming in and he would he would ask me like, okay, so what's happening now? And like, wait, <laughs> and, and explaining it to someone else in real time made me yes. really fascinated by the structure because I was, I was saying to him like, okay, it's an, it's a, you know, a historical novel, a sort of regular run of the mill Edith Wharton sort of thing. And then I was like, wait, yeah. no, 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 that's not real. <laughs> it's a totally different kind of thing. It's actually, it's, you know, it's this, this little puzzle box of all these different kinds of prose and fiction and nonfiction and text all wrapped up together. Um, so it was actually sort of fun to explain it to him in real time, but it, it, you know, again, I wouldn't repeat the circumstances of reading it. It oh, was, God. it was more fun to read it for a second time at home. I could see that. Well, and also like the fact that so much of it ends up being about a woman trapped in a hospital, like, good Lord, that's intense. <laughs> you know, I, I oddly found myself sort of comforted by the thought that my life was not nearly as distressing as sure as, as as Mildred's, you know, that like I was going to be fine with the help of some wonderful antibiotics. So um, mm-hmm. in, in that way, it was a little bit reassuring um, that fiction can can often be far scarier than reality. So I think partly this book is so fascinating because obviously he's doing so much with with structure, with tone. It's so self-referential. It's extremely self-aware. To your point, you know, Hillary wrote in the L.A. Times review about how it the narrative consistently undoes itself as it progresses, which is also really fascinating. Um, Was there ever a point for either of you where you thought because I don't know, I think especially about the like unfinished autobiography section and how deeply insufferable that dude is and how that's the point but then also I could see that section also just completely turning people off who would end up being feeling rewarded by by reading this book. Did that strike you, too, Hillary? You know, I was um, particularly taken with one one piece of that. So you're talking about the second section, right, when um, mm-hmm. we're reading the partially completed manuscript of an autobiography that has been ghostwritten. <laughs> there's so many, uh-huh. there's so many layers. It's so hard to explain. Um, <laughs> of this this titan of Wall Street, um, Andrew Bevel, uh-huh. and the reason that you know it's a manuscript is because it has all of these little parentheticals almost that read things like you know insert more memories about Mildred at home here or like here's a great place <laughs> to talk about my childhood. Um, How great I am. And yeah, basically him saying, you know, here's another chance to compare myself to, you know, Roosevelt and Carnegie and all mm-hmm. those men. Um, and it, it actually struck me as a way that I compose a lot of what I do that I don't write through chronologically. And I, I have a lot of mm-hmm. gaps and, you know, in publishing, we, you know, I'm sure you guys are familiar with this, but listeners might not be like TKs, which are just placeholders where, you know, you want to say something, but you don't know what it is. Um, mm-hmm. and I, so, so I was sort of, t- you know, titillated by that idea that we're getting this half finished little bit. Um, and we know what he wanted to put in there, but we know he wasn't somehow wasn't able to rise to the occasion and, and finish this off. And it, you know, it made me wonder too, is what we're reading the finished product? Are we reading it 
mid-production? Are we going to find out later mm. that there's more to come? So I actually really appreciate it, those, those little dangles, because they they added a sense of mystery for me. And I, you know, I kind of loved how insufferable he was. And I loved that the title of his memoir was the same as Bill Clinton's memoir. Um, you know, this a little bit of, you know, grandstanding from a big white man who gets up on stage and tells everybody how it is. Did you end up with a favorite section by the end? Or did you really come, you know, I mean, they're all so different, but they do come together you know, I think I would say definitely that section, hmm. um, that section, although when the book ended, I was like, I went back to reread Bonds and I was like, I was just tickled, you know, I was like, oh my God, like I was kind of like, it just made sense. As, yeah. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. And so I, I felt like I had a weird, deep uh, affinity and appreciation for the beginning yes. <laughs> all over again. To that end, then, like, did the reveal work for you in terms of the fact that Mildred is obviously much more of an agent than than we know her to be through these other stories? You know, I don't think it worked for me so much as it just clicked. Hmm. You know, um, it was just that moment where I saw what Diaz was trying to do with the novel as a whole. Um, and so I, I, I can't say that I have an opinion about, you know, the reality of whether or not I can trust what we really read, right? Mm-hmm. Um, not to like, you know, be cliche and put the mm-hmm. title of the book in. <laughs> like, I don't know if I can trust you delighted. <laughs> I don't know if I can trust any anything that I read other than just taking it as a piece and then seeing it as a whole and appreciating it. Mm-hmm. How did you guys feel about that? I think we certainly couldn't. And I think that that was the intention one thing that the different sections did for me was they made me reevaluate the way that I relate to uh, genre and mm. how implicitly mm. I fell for or trusted, you know, various narratives because of the predilections that I already have. So, you know, I found myself angry at my former self for really loving the first <laughs> section and really loving this you know, very Wartonian or Jamesian historical fiction about this, you know, fabulously wealthy couple. And I later on was sort of angry with myself for having given in to that romantic impulse so easily, you know, just like, oh, of course, this Hmm. is exactly the kind of novel I love about rich people, you know, gallivanting and throwing (laughs) concerts. Um, And I, you know, immediately was horrified by Bevel's memoir and his you know grandstanding Mm. and comparing his own chart to the his own path to the charting of the nation's founding and I so implicitly trusted the third section this you know scrappy young woman's memoir that she's writing Mm. you know 50 years after she is serving as the uh, secretary slash ghostwriter for Bevel you know I thought, of course, like, this is the real narrative inside the narrative. And then when I, you know, sat and looked back and thought about it when I was writing, I realized how foolish that was of me to immediately decide that Ida was a reliable witness and other people weren't. Ida had, you know, she admitted several times in her narrative that she was a fabulist and that she concocted <laughs> own her own versions of her life. You know, I sort of loved being made a fool of in my own mind there was something really Mm -hmm. pleasurable about that for me I I I like to 
know that I'm wrong <laughs> in some strange way. <laughs> I think that's like the best way to describe it, like be made a fool of. That's exactly like mm. how I felt the whole way through. Right. Well, and I think too, I mean, it was fascinating reading it, rereading it and realizing I could still read it again and find more pieces that mm. I hadn't picked up on either of those times. I feel like especially, you know, I mean, on its face, this is literary fiction, right? And I think, Hillary, to your point about genre, it's sort of like you there's not often a book that fits into that category that I would want to read multiple times to figure out how it all fits together. But this one, you know, the idea of it being a puzzle box, there's just so much to it. You know, I heard uh, Diaz give an interview. I think he was talking to Seth Meyers and he was explaining about um, basically how he wanted to provide a, a broader representation of women in historical fiction that he said, you know, women are often wives, secretaries or victims. And so he mm. wrote this novel in which they are all of those things, but they are also a lot more, which, you know, I really appreciate it. But I do think that over the last hundred years, a lot of women have written narratives in which women are a lot more. Mm. Um, and I didn't necessarily see this as a the novel project that it was necessarily presented as. Um, mm. it, it had a very like mad woman in the attic feel to me that, mm-hmm. that you know, oh, we're just supposed to discover that all along this this brilliant woman has been hidden away and that should be satisfying enough for us. And for me, you know, it's more satisfying for that woman to get her own voice in a broader sense, not just to have it sort of shimmied in here under cover of the narratives of men. But that's probably just my raging feminist opinion. <laughs> so. No, I mean, as a, as a also as a fellow raging feminist, I think that is a really interesting point. I think the thing that I think it worked for me pretty well. I was I was kind of delighted to find out that she was behind it all. And I do think there is something that really tracks around the history of the fact that no one would know. You know, that that makes sense to me. I think the part that I was kind of disappointed by is that I really wanted her to be angrier. Mm. Yeah. (laughs) Mm. Well, she was kind of like at the end of everything, though. Right. So I I took that more of a exhaustion. Mm. So when you're exhausted, I mean, you need energy to be angry. That's super real. <laughs> <laughs> she is not just, she's not a benevolent agent who is no. making all of this money for her family and, you know, sort of just happens to be a brilliant mind. She's doing it through, you know, underhanded, legal, but, you know, in my opinion, wildly unethical and pretty abhorrent methods. And if we are to believe, you know, some of what we've read about Bevel in, you know, both in Bonds and then in his own narrative, um, if she was the brains behind the operation, then she's the one who caused the Great Depression. You know, so she's yeah. she's actually mm-hmm. the this, this secret chaos agent. She's not just a smart woman who's hidden underneath this man with bravado. She's you know, she's the cause of the single worst economic event in American and global history. Like, you know, this is not just some some petty crime. Yeah. Yeah. Which is definitely part of the point. What did you think of the character, Lupita? I felt kind of confused about who she was. I, I guess it was because you're getting bits of her through the different um, sections. Then mm-hmm. it wasn't until the end where I was like, OK, um, 
I feel like I got to handle, but can I trust this? You yeah. know, can I trust that this is real? And I don't know. I really struggled with that. I, I didn't, I don't think I gave myself into uh, her, her as a character or any of them really, because I was just confused a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> I do think that's one of Diaz's, I, I don't want to say his intentions because that's impossible for me to know, but it, it seems like a byproduct sure. of what he's done here. You know, we put a lot, readers in general, put a lot of stock in immersion and bonding with our characters um and Absolutely. when you can't do that it's actually i feel like it's a good like um tap on the shoulder in the midst of reading that you can sort of step back and evaluate why you're struggling with this and whether or not you know bonding with a character is a necessary ingredient for successful fiction or not because i mean to take a look at you know how many best of lists this novel has been on this year which I think is like virtually everyone's top 10 lists has had um trust on it you know I think that a lot of people are recognizing that that connection that you were talking about Lupita um that disconnection is actually sort of enthralling in its own way that understanding of the limitations of character in fiction Yeah. And I would totally agree with you. I think, um, you know, in terms of just connecting or finding something that just seeds you into the character, right. That you, you say, I I think I know this person because this is familiar. Right. Mm -hmm. And I do feel like when I got to the end uh, and I'm reading through that section, I felt like not betrayed because like, well, maybe a little bit betrayed because (laughs) I was, you know, I was finally connecting, right. Finally connecting, but as a whole, I was like, wait a minute. <laughs> <laughs> and I understand why it's on so many, you know, top 10 lists, because it, it is the fact that it works um, is still something that I'm, I'm very like shocked by and shook by. I'm like, wow, this like works. <laughs> and that was really cool. You know? Yeah, that's a really, f- I, I totally agree with you too. I think it's, I don't know. It's not often that I'm like, both satisfied and frustrated by a book. Oh, really? I feel like that's I feel like that's my perpetual state of reading. <laughs> I tend to like stuff that goes down a little easier, I think, mm. you know? Or maybe maybe that's not quite the right way of putting it, but I I don't know. I think I don't often read books that that leave so many questions unanswered as this one mm. does. And I could mm. see, I, you know, if it hadn't been written as well, I could see being really frustrated by that. Mm. But mm. in this case, I just thought it was kind of exquisite. Mm. <laughs> What's funny about that idea is that there is an entire section of it that is purposely poorly written. <laughs> uh, <you> know, <laughs> like, no, I know. It's wild. Yes. I was going to say to your point, Greta, about, um, a book that kind of leaves quest or, you know, leaves you with questions. I think what I thought was if I gave myself into trusting everything that I've read, you know, then I wouldn't have the question. I wouldn't have any questions, right. The mm. resolutions would kind of be there, mm. but um, that's kind of why I was a little struck by how it works. Cause you're like, wait a minute. I know better than to think that I have the answers, but Mm. I could easily be a reader that gives myself into this and say, oh, no, I mean, everything was answered for me. Mm -hmm. And I wonder if either of you thought, like, perhaps, you know, if I give myself into just the way that this is working, would those answers, would I I have answers? Mm -hmm. It's a great question. I think, yes. And I think that's partly what the book is saying, too, right, is that we 
we love a yes or a no, right? Or mm-hmm. like the black, like that binary of just like the simplicity of that is something I think, especially when it comes to financial stuff, right? It's sort of like right. either their losses or gains. Mm-hmm. And it seems like so much of what this book is doing too is talking about, you know, the distinct Americanness of especially capitalism, but just all of it too, in terms of, and I think there's like a, really interesting kind of sinister undertone to wealth that like we don't really look at in this book, but is always present, which I found really interesting too. I think that one of the things that Diaz does really well here is that he asks the reader to self-interrogate why they're so enamored of a book mm. about a, a billionaire who, with, you know, which then is like, Oh, why are we watching white Lotus? Yeah. It, right? it, it, just, it asks the question <laughs> right. of like, what is it that, keeps drawing readers back to a scenario that they they can't possibly find them you know find themselves in you know mm-hmm. in their lives um with the rare exception of of a few people i mean maybe bezos read this i don't know i'm guessing bezos doesn't actually read literary <laughs> fiction oh my god if that's if that's on his top 10 list i'm gonna do die. you think he has one i mean like <laughs> no i don't think of books who doesn't read books um but i was thinking when i uh when emily st john mandel uh wrote the glass hotel which also features a sort of enigmatic asshole billionaire um who screws a lot of people over financially um i was interviewing her for a profile i was writing of her and she was telling me that she had a friend who had worked as a I can't remember exactly if it was an assistant to a billionaire and she had asked this person for, you know, tiny glimpses into what that person's life was like and like what really happens, you know, and it was just such a mix of absurdity and banality, you know, it was like, Hmm. they just drink tea and do business all day, you know, but also mixed with like, but then they ride off on their helicopter and a lot of the arguably more important, more interesting um, texts about smaller, let's just say lives that, that aren't actually any smaller, but they look smaller through the lens of history. You know, mm. we've abandoned a lot of those. Um, and I think Diaz absolutely knows that. And he's, you know, he's, he sort of wants us to realize that we are complicit in this system too, because we are fascinated by it. Yeah. We buy into it. Yeah. And like, I can't wait for the next season of Succession next year. <laughs> right. You know? Rich asshole. <laughs> In just a minute, more on trust. Nerdette is supported by the Sympathizer podcast from HBO. Join host Philip Nguyen in conversation with the cast, crew, and author Viet Thanh Nguyen as they discuss the making of this historic HBO original limited series. Stream new episodes of HBO's The Sympathizer Sundays exclusively on Max, and listen to The Sympathizer podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. Think on your feet for our Fast and Curious 5K, a -a one-of-a-kind race hosted by WBEZ and the Chicago Sun-Times on Saturday, July 27th at Humboldt Park. More info and early bird registration at wbez.org slash events. 
So every month we do a completely arbitrary rating of the book. This time we're thinking stock tickers. Oh, <laughs> oh no. <laughs> Glasses of champagne was another option. Um, I don't know. I mean, it's obviously completely arbitrary, but I guess from like one to 10 stock tickers. Lupita, how angry are you that I'm asking you to do this? <laughs> Hillary, can you go first, please? <laughs> so literally anyone who knows me will understand that this is a ludicrous thing to ask me because I still cannot adequately understand what the stock market really is and how we can trade abstract ideas Same. for yes. real commodities. But um, I would say if I had to, <laughs> I'm guessing 10 is the best. Um so yeah, I would say sure. I'm like an eight. I had, okay. I have a bit of a problem with how neatly wrapped up some of it is like um, mm. pattern wise. Um, and like I said, I, the mad woman in the attic ending undercuts yeah. some of the beauty of Diaz's idea. Yeah, that's fair. I think I would give it, I think I'm going to give it nine. I liked it a lot. I thought it was a great oh. read. And I think it's one that I would like to, in, like, I think it's one that you could recommend to a lot of different people and they would also enjoy it. Mm. Yeah. What do you think, Lupita? Um, I, I guess before we chatted, uh, I would probably have done maybe like a three. <gasps> wow. Wow. Really? <laughs> but, um, you know, and, and so, okay, with the caveat that, of course, I, it was my fault. I, I started on audiobook. And so that already, that yeah, already, messed, you know, it messed with the yeah. vibes, the flow and the beginning, the first impression has, is kind of lasting, right? Totally. And so yes. I, I don't know, I, I'm going to blame it on myself. So I, I would up it to like, you know, six. I, I'm comfortable with the six. You haven't been that critical. If I had a three. I know, I'm surprised. I would be ripping it to shreds if I had a three. I commend your grace and elegance. Because... Yes. Well, and see, I think that that's why I love to do book clubs because, I, you know, and I always reserve any like hard criticism until, you know, the end or, or after everything's kind of been said, or I have more information. Mm. Um, because again, I think that everyone's experience is different. And, and it's not that mine's not valid too. I just, you know, again, I think that had I not started with the audiobook, yeah. um, that would have been a very, we, we would have had a different conversation, I think. Um, maybe, maybe <laughs> not, you know, but I, I can't, I can't, I can't say, I can't take right. that back. Well, and I do think too, I mean, I've certainly been in the situation over the last couple of years doing this book club where like, I'll read something and be kind of like, I, you know, and like, mm -hmm. there's still stuff to talk about, but it didn't necessarily blow my mind. But I am super grateful that like almost all the time with a book like that, once I have gotten through the discussion, I'm sort of like, oh, that did make me think of it in these different ways that I hadn't, which like does heighten my appreciation of it, you know? That's exactly how I feel about that. Yeah. I mean, I will also say, I think for me, the whole, it boils down to connecting to characters. And if there's that, you know, lack of connection, I, it, I mean, I guess I would be a terrible critic because i'd be like can i connect if i can't mm. i don't know no i totally yeah. get that and i think like that's why I, ida had to exist in that book for me like ida really yeah. brought it all together if if she i think that was my favorite section because yeah i can only tolerate insufferable characters for so long too before <laughs> i'm just like what am i doing you know one of the things that i appreciated was it's a book it has been a book that for the past year since i read it that i have thought about again and again, and mm. the various times I've looked back at it, I have found new bits of information that 
you just turn the angle on my feelings, maybe a few degrees to one Ooh. side. Um, cool. and there's something really, um, you know, that doesn't actually often happen for me. I often sort of see a book, work on it, and then have to put it to the side and immediately move on to something else. And it doesn't really come up for me again. Um, but this book has, has reemerged, I think, especially <laughs> not to be too timely, but, you know, watching Mr. Musk parade his, his mm. macho man attitude across the internet. Um, and, you know, thinking about like, who are the men really, who are the billionaires who are running our lives and, you know, maybe there's not so much going on upstairs. <laughs> um. <laughs> That's amazing. Um, okay. So before I let you go, I would love to know if you have a recommendation for a book that you would recommend to someone who liked this one. So, and this could be like time period, character, general vibes, uh, narrative structure, anything at all. The one I thought of a lot with this, and it turns out they're friends, which is funny, is uh, Lauren Groff's Fates and Furies, I think, mm. has some similar sort of like, you know, uh, shifting narratives that that kind of make you reconsider what you just read in a way that I just loved. Yes, I, I love that recommendation. I, I didn't you. see it, but I see it now. Yeah, they're very really... different books, but there's something about them that is similar. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I thought about this a lot and then I, it just popped into my head. Um, Violeta by Isabel Allende, Ooh, cool. um, which came, yeah, it, it, it's so basically it's, it's over spans a woman's life over a hundred years and she's the main character, but just in thinking in terms of like, you know, family dynamics and unveiling secrets, I guess I just got them that vibe mm -hmm. kind of from the book. And so I, I think that they could, it could work. Awesome. That's a great recommendation. Uh, Hillary, what do you think? So it, it feels a little bit like cheating um, because the title of the book I'm going to offer is eerily similar to this one, but um, it's a trust exercise by <laughs> Ooh, Susan yeah. Choi, uh, which it sounds like you guys have both read it. Um, I loved that book um, and I found the, the quote unquote reveal in that book to be just so delicious um but the similarities you know go beyond the title um and they're they're both about you know bad men which is a category that i could come back to <laughs> over and over again um but they mm. also are about upending narrative expectations um upending the expectations of the reader um and about the unreliability of history and there is in trust exercise which is the story of um, a couple in a performing arts high school. There's a like a sexual incident, shall we say, that takes place in the first section. And as the book progresses, it is revealed through a series of further sections that the story that we thought we knew might actually have played out rather differently. Interesting. Thank you so much, Lupita and Hillary, for your time. This was great. Thank you for having me. Thank you. All 
right, that's it for book club this year. I am very excited to tell you that our January book club pick is Kevin Wilson's delightful novel, Now Is Not the Time to Panic. We will air a spoiler-free interview with Kevin on January 10th. Then you should read the book. Let us know what you think. You know the drill. And come back for the discussion on the last Tuesday of the month. The show is produced by me and Anna Bowen. Our executive producer is Brendan Banaszak. Nerdette is supported by the Sympathizer podcast from HBO. Join host Philip Nguyen in conversation with the cast, crew, and author Viet Thanh Nguyen as they discuss the making of this historic HBO original limited series. Stream new episodes of HBO's The Sympathizer Sundays exclusively on Max. And listen to The Sympathizer podcast wherever you listen to podcasts.